This morning's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3 and can be found on page 5 of the Church Bibles, starting at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all, all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from, it, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you know, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the first uh, three chapters of Genesis. It's from them that many of the foundation issues of life begin to be addressed. So in Genesis 1, we see that human beings are the climax of God's creation. In Genesis 2, we get an insight into their earthly paradise. And then, sadly, in chapter 3, there is the fall human rebellion against God. And today we look at what some of the adverse consequences were to that rebellion. How it wasn't just the relationship between human beings and God that went wrong. Human relations between each other went wrong and somehow also the relationship with the created world that we live in. 
So there are three uh, summary sort of, uh, adverse results of the fall. They can be summarised like this, the immediate result, then what happened next, the proximate result, and then ultimately what has been and will be the result. So that is the good news there. So the immediate result, they knew they were guilty. They now knew the difference between good and evil, but this time through experience. In French, there are two uh, verbs for to know, connaître and savoir. Connaître means to know in the sense of being acquainted with someone or something. So, I know Luke, for example, means I am acquainted with Luke. Or I know this song means I have heard this song before and I'm familiar with this song. Savoir, on the other hand, means to know in the sense of knowing how to do something or through a learning process. Savoir expresses the knowledge about certain things from being able to do them. So if I say I know how to dance, it means that I can dance. If I say I know this song, it means that I can sing these words. Now before the fall... Their knowledge of sin was theoretical. But after the fall, it was through personal experience. And it turns out to be not the desirable knowledge that they'd hoped for. The devil had conned them. He had made the attractive things of God look unattractive and the really unattractive things, of, which are the consequences of rebellion, look attractive. But what we actually find in reality here is quite the reverse, because it leads to confusion, to self-consciousness, and shame. Sin which is so attractively packaged, once opened, is a sad disappointment. Well, let's see how this sense of guilt reveals itself. So, verse 7, they were ashamed. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, not that the eyes of the body, but rather the eyes of conscience. That's what dawned on them. That's what they could now see they could see the adverse consequences, they knew that they had done wrong. And they experienced the, that awkwardness in their relationship with God, which is symbolised by their awkwardness about being naked and their desire to hide from God. So what they first of all do is they try to cover up. Just picture it but maybe for not too long. Picture it, trying to cover your nakedness with fig leaves. It is ineffectual. Not that I've tried, but I mean, (laughs) uh, it is ineffectual. It doesn't work. Whereas before there had been innocence, peace and harmony between them, now they were embarrassed at their nakedness. They felt exposed. And what may well be true literally is also true morally. When we are conscious of immorality, we are aware of our moral nakedness 
and don't want people to see us as we are. We try to hide our sinfulness in the hope that others won't see it. Or we try denying it to ourselves. We try convincing ourselves that what we feel guilty about isn't really wrong. Well, next they hid from God, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Again, picture it. It's as if God and man got on so well together in the garden that God was in the habit of popping round for a chat at the end of the day. But now man's disobedience has spoilt all of that. Adam and Eve could no longer look God in the eye. Sin put an end to that. So they try to hide. And again it's a bit pathetic, isn't it? The trees would provide little cover from the all-seeing eyes of God. Now we human beings are ingenious at filling our lives so that we don't have to face the thought of God. We can busy ourselves with work. We all know souls whose life is simply work. But when they get towards the end of their working career, yeah, they can look back and see quite a lot of good that they've probably done. But they must think, There was meant to be more to life than this. For others, it's their hobby. It fills their spare time. You find them even reading about it over a lunch break, for those of you who still have them. They are filling the God-shaped hole so there's no place to encounter him. Of course, in our generation, people don't like silence. They can't just sit in a room and be quiet and just read a book. They have to have the radio on or music playing or Spotify or whatever else. Stick things in your ears and listen to it because of the fear of, gosh, if I'm alone, God might actually get through to me. So others try reconstructing reality so as to freeze God out. Often their own reconstructed worldview is as flimsy as the fig leaves. But the hope is that again it's strong enough to keep him out. So often you find people who are not yet Christians will give you a reason as to why they're not. And they're usually theological or their personal experience. Either some Christians being rude to them, but that doesn't kind of mitigate against the Christian faith being true, just that that person's a bit of a lousy Christian. On the other hand, you may well think that your little knockdown argument that keeps, you, um, keeps, keeps God at bay for you for ages until some Christian who has listened with patience explains to you that your thinking is wrong and that's not what God is like at all and then the penny drops and you start thinking oh the reality of it all and maybe that's the path the start of your journey to faith so as often happens God speaks through these little crises here we have God calling out 
Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It reminds me of two verses from the rest of the Bible, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. In Jeremiah 23:24, Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Or Hebrews 4:13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It's interesting, though, that God takes the initiative, doesn't he? He comes looking for them. He knows what they've done, but he comes looking for them, just as he now does with us. Well, then we see that they blamed each other, 12 and 13. The man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Well, God asked straight questions, but he got no straight answers and certainly no confession of guilt. Instead, they blamed each other. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Now, it's true that they were tempted, but the fault lay with them. Today, we blame our upbringing or our environment And there is no doubt that if you've had an adverse upbringing, you've had an adverse environment, then statistically, then you're more likely to uh, fall into sins of some kind. But even allowing for that, we are still responsible for our actions. It's only by facing up to our sin, admitting that we are culpable, and turning to God, who is looking for us, that the broken relationship can begin to be restored. So the immediate results of the fall were a cover-up, trying to hide from God, and to blame each other. Well, what comes next? Well, that's the proximate result. They each came under judgment. First of all, the serpent, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals, You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now quite how much of this we are to understand literally is unclear but I find it hard to think that uh, reptiles suddenly had their legs chopped off and they became snakes. What's undoubtedly true is that there is a natural antipathy between human beings and snakes. I mean, after all, if you were faced with cuddling a puppy or a python, I bet 100% of you would opt for the puppy. And behind that material antipathy is a spiritual one that actually will one day lead to Satan's destruction. And there's the woman. To the woman, he said, let's uh, let's take childbearing first and then marital relationships. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. 
With pain you will give birth to children. Well, men talking about childbirth are on a dangerous ground. But at least I know a bit more about it than when I was a bachelor. And to quote my wife, but applying the comment to myself, I have had four children, you know. So there you go, I've watched her give birth. Which I grant you is a detached experience, etc., etc. But I've often wondered what this verse actually means about increase your pain in childbirth. It appears to me, how do you increase what is already pretty painful? Well, at least I wouldn't want to go through it. And uh, I think the answer is to look carefully at, um, at the words here. The pain here applied to the woman is the same word in verse 17 that's applied to man's agricultural labour. The NIV translates it, um, I think, uh, um, painful toil, whereas here it's just increase your pain. You see, it's a word that can mean sorrow, toil, as well as pain. Maybe we are to think beyond simply labour pains to include death and deformity in the reproduction process as well. Their promised fruitfulness, Genesis 1.28, was now to be accompanied by pain as well as pleasure. And in place of the intended partnership between the sexes, there would be discord. Your desire will be for your husband. Now what are we to make of this? Well, helpfully, the next chapter, Genesis 4, verse 7, we have, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now this verse clarifies for us the meaning of the word desire. Just as sin's desire is to have its way with Cain, God gives the woman up to a desire to have her way with her husband. Because she usurped his headship in temptation, God hands her over to the misery of competition with her rightful head. And he will rule over you. How do we take this? Well, rule essentially is a neutral term, but in this context of punishment, we are, I think, to read it negatively. If in punishment God allows Eve the desire to control her husband, then the man in reaction will try to dominate her. And there, of course, we have the origins of both feminism and male chauvinism. As such, it's a distortion of the way God set relationships between the sexes in Eden. There is no question that Adam and Eve, men and women, are equal in status before God. Both are created in his image. Both are given the mandate to manage creation and to multiply. And there's no doubt that they are different in their roles or function as far as God is concerned, that they are complementary to each other. Man is to lead or to have responsibility for and the woman is to help. And that, of course, is the contentious bit in our culture. But Paul argues in the New Testament that 
Woman being created after Adam, from Adam, and for Adam indicates that God intends man to take the lead, the responsibility in the relationship. And since this was the situation before the fall, when everything went wrong and degenerated into feminism and male chauvinism, it is embedded in creation. It's an absolute. John Stott, in his epic book, well, he's got a number of epic books, but Issues Facing Christians Today has the advantage of having chapters on a whole lot of uh, issues which are flagged up in the beginning of Genesis. He has a very good chapter on men, women and God, for example. And this is what he says. All attempts to get rid of Paul's teaching on headship on the grounds that it is mistaken, confusing, culture-bound or culture-specific must be pronounced unsuccessful. It remains stubbornly there. It is rooted in divine revelation, not human opinion, and in divine creation, not human culture. In essence, therefore, it must be preserved as having permanent and universal authority. Now, of course, what the New Testament explores is the nature of that term headship, and whether once headship is defined... What are some of the things it prohibits? But for now, let's just note John Stott's observation. The good order of male leadership and female help before the fall changes into male oppression and female subjugation after it, all because of male abnegation. Adam had been directly told not to eat by God, And he also didn't stop Eve from doing so. And there is female usurpation. She listened to the serpent rather than what Adam had told her God had said and then led Adam into sin. Edward Schillebeck, who is a late Roman Catholic theologian from Belgium, wrote, The subordination of women to the man was intended from the beginning But now that the harmony of their mutual wills in God is destroyed, this subordination becomes subjection. From being his wife's leader, the man becomes her tyrant. Or as Christopher Ashe, a Christian writer of uh, our tradition, while partnership of the man's helper is doing the task given by the Lord is a joyful calling, Subjection as the man's slave in doing tasks given by the man will be a sorry plight. And then the man specifically in 17 to 19. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Now in the garden, work with God was a joy. Now outside of it, separated from God, 
it will become a toil, a frustrating, hard graft. And then we have the couple, 22 to 24. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, expelled from the presence of God because they had snatched independence that belonged to God himself. Only God is independent. He is dependent on nobody. Everything else in the created universe is dependent on him. And that includes us. Because if we try to live independent of God, if we try to be autonomous, doing our own thing, then we do have a guilty conscience, which nothing seems to be able to quieten all the time we fail to face up to God. And there are the objective and adverse consequences which affect relationships, birth, work and death. Now all part of everyday life, but not originally so. But it is not all bad news reading this. There is the ultimate result. There is a promise here an embryonic one at best, but there is a province, a promise of deliverance. God is both a God of wrath and of love, a God of judgment and salvation, a God of justice and mercy. He is both the judge and the saviour. And Christ's coming here is foretold in verse 15. Speaking to the serpent, God says... And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The seed of the woman is Christ, born of Mary, descended from Adam and Eve. So what's being said is that one of Eve's descendants is to become the saviour of the world. And he will crush the serpent's head. He will destroy the power of the devil. And, for, and salvation is foreshadowed, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God the judge provides a remedy for the offence that they have committed. You recall at the beginning, Adam and Eve tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. That was pathetic and ineffectual and a bit self-righteous. God, though, provides the garments of skins which actually managed to do the job of effectively covering their nakedness. But for animals to provide the skins, what has to happen? It's costly. They have to give up their lives. In Hebrew, the word 
to atone means to cover. So, in order for our sins to be covered, we need not our fig leaves, but God's skins to do the job properly. So, we end in hope. Christ, the seed of the woman, has now come and, as we know, conquered the devil, defeated him by rising from the dead and by not succumbing to any of his temptations throughout his life. And Christ crucified can cover our nakedness. Both were achieved on the cross. So we come to Christ, and in so doing, Satan will be put under our feet, and we will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And the adverse effects of the fall will start to be rectified in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, at this very point when relationships between human beings and you went wrong, that there is this great note of hope. And we recognise that these things were no accidents, that you had planned for them through all eternity. And although you've planned for them, the human beings who went the wrong way are still culpable. And we thank you for your overarching hand over the entire period of earthly history, all that has gone in the past and all will come into the future until your return again And when we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be paradise that was lost, will become regained. We pray that we might ensure that we give up our feeble efforts of trying to cover up our sins by our own efforts and accept your gracious and free gift of covering our sins through Jesus' Christ's death on our behalf. Amen.